Merry Christmas. My name's Ben. Welcome to Four Corners. If you're our guest today, we are especially glad that you are here. And just before we jump into week three of our Men at the Manger series, our final message in this series, I want to take a moment and tell you how exciting of a time it is to be here. In fact, on your seats when you came in, along with the offering envelope and your Connect card, there are a couple of these little darker squares. These are invites to our Christmas Eve Eve service coming up in just a couple of days. I want to give you a specific and personal invitation to join me here in this room at either 7 p.m. or 9 p.m. And we're going to celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is born in that stable, in that manger on that day that we celebrate at Christmas. And your kids are going to love it as well. So what we want you to do, if you're willing at all, is to take these two things home. Don't leave them on your seat. Go ahead and take those home. Put them in your purse, your wallet, whatever. And sometime today, tomorrow, even on Tuesday... Uh, use these to invite people to be with us here. Now, what we've asked Four Corners people who call this church home to do is to get online uh, on our website and go and get your free tickets for this event. And let's just say that you haven't done that, don't plan on doing that. We still want you to come. What that has given us the ability to do is to plan more appropriately for all of our guests. We want to make sure that each person that comes here on Christmas Eve Eve has the best possible experience and getting some advance notice of how the crowd's shaking out and what volunteers we need in first service and what volunteers we need in second service is helping us do that. And if you do call Four Corners Home and you haven't yet got your tickets, please go ahead and do that. But if you, you know, just aren't going to, go ahead and come anyway, whichever service. And let's say that you got a 7 p.m. ticket, but you need to come at 9 o'clock, that's fine. Let's say you only reserve two seats and you need to have eight people come with you. That's phenomenal. I'll save you a seat right up here by me. Uh, you'd be my hero for the night. That'd be great. All right, so what we're doing is we're getting people to come. And, and if, if you are a regular Four Corners, you know what I'm getting ready to say here. Friends, this is our opportunity to make a serious investment in people. A lot of folks that you work with, your family, your friends, they've had a rough year. And we get to, on this night, pause and think about the hope that is found in Jesus. And we get to take a year, no matter how it's been, and end it on a very positive note and anticipate how awesome 2015 is going to be. And here in this place, more than any place I know in our entire region, anyone can come and feel love and acceptance right here in this room. I want you to make that investment into people that you know and love and care for. All right, so let's take our time and attention and turn towards men at the manger. You saw that video a little video about Joseph. Now he talked how wonderful his wife Mary was and the attitude, the mentality she had as God brought her through a series of experiences where he used her mightily to give the world the gift of Jesus. But it was that last line that caught my mind, my heart, as he was talking. He says, I know why God used Mary, but what's my purpose? Why me? Well, ladies, today, I want to talk with you in a series where I've been talking tangibly to men. I want to talk to you about what I think most men want for Christmas. Now, don't get your guard up. You don't have to run out to Victoria's Secret on the way home. That's not, what, not where I'm going with this. Now, we're not afraid to tackle that subject here at this church, but that's not what this is, all right? I want to talk to you as one man, not even as all men, but as one man about what really rings true in my heart and what I want out of life, what I want in my relationships, what I want really in my relationship with God. At least it's connected to all of those things. And to do that, what I thought we would do is we'd start with Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, 
verse 18. If you have your scriptures, you can go there. You can turn on your phone and get there, or you can look at the side screens, either one. Here's what Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, 19, and following says. And this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, God had warned Joseph in a dream about some things that were coming. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And then Joseph gave him the name Jesus, which means he saves. That's what the name Jesus means. It's an Old Testament word brought into the New Testament language of Greek. The Old Testament word being Yahshua or Joshua, he saves. And Joseph is the one that pronounces that name over the baby Jesus. Have you ever thought much about Joseph? It'd be difficult to get a lot of information because our Bible doesn't tell us a lot about him. In fact, I've read for you already about half of what it says, just in those couple of verses. We get a few other snippets of information about Joseph when Jesus was going to the temple as an adolescent boy, and Mary and Joseph are frustrated because they've returned home, begun to return home, and Jesus isn't with the entourage of family, and for three days they look for Jesus, and he's in the temple teaching. You get a little bit more language about Joseph only when there's a group of people saying, isn't this the carpenter's son? And other than that, that's about all we get. That's about all we get on Joseph. But man, what a crazy ride that guy must have had. What a crazy ride. The angel comes to Joseph and says, take this woman and make her your wife. Oh, and by the way, she's pregnant and it's not your kid. And in the verses we read, we're told a little bit about the emotion that he must have gone through as he pondered and thought what people are going to say about him, what they're going to say about this woman. And because he loved her and didn't want to embarrass her, he decided to deal with it privately. The law would require him to expose her, but he's going to deal with it privately because of his care and compassion for her. And so a lot of times when people come to this passage, especially at Christmas time, They'll talk about what a loving and concerned and faithful kind of guy Joseph must have been. And I bet he was. Otherwise, I can't imagine our Heavenly Father choosing Joseph to be the stepfather of his son. But what we don't often consider at a time like this is what was going on in Joseph's heart and mind. What was he thinking about? And beyond that, what did he really want? Now, it appears that Joseph must have passed away early on in Jesus' life. Because while he is there when Jesus is born, he's there when Jesus is approaching the temple between 12, 13 years old, we don't hear anything else about him. In fact, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he looks down to another man, not his father, and says, take care of my mother. If Joseph had been alive, clearly that would have been Joseph's responsibility. I've had a lot of opportunity over the last couple of weeks to think about this guy. And I don't have much more to say about him. But it does make me wonder what kind of family God 
chose to put his own son into. The Bible talks a lot about family, a whole lot about family. In fact, in this church, we spend a lot of time talking about God's design for family, what he wants to have happen in families. And here's why we do that very practically. Because while God has set an ideal for us, most of us live somewhere far south of the ideal. I do. Me and my family, my wife, we live far south of the ideal that God has called us to. And as a pastor... As a, as a member of a team committed to bringing God's agenda here in this place, we get to see up front and personal a lot of the pain and the dysfunction and the difficulties that marriages and parenting issues and dealing with adult parents and adult kids, we get to see how all of that comes to play on people. And, and we take great joy in trying to speak tangibly into the life of families here and now, right from God's Word. So for the next few minutes, I want to ask you ladies to give me permission to talk as one man about what I think men really want in a relationship. And specifically, I want to talk about a husband-wife relationship, like one that maybe Mary and Joseph had. But beyond that, if you're not married, was married, don't think you'll ever be married, there are just standard relational principles that apply, I think, across the board. But to kind of drill it home, since I've been harping on men for the last couple weeks, pretty hardcore, I wanted to kind of maybe balance the scale just a little bit and at least say to you ladies, here's how I think you can set your husband up to win with the kinds of things that God wants for your family. So before we get into it, let me, let me make a, little of, uh, a couple of provisos. Um, in, in this message for the next few minutes, I'm going to deal with a very sensitive topic because our culture has made it sensitive. It really hasn't been all that sensitive until the last 50, 60, 100 years. But because of where our culture is and our development as a people group, uh, it's, it's kind of a sensitive topic. So when God's Word deals with something so consistently and clearly, and it stands in contrast to maybe where a lot of the culture is, it, it can rub us wrong. So, so let me kind of give you some context before we go into it. Um, so last week, when I was on this stage, um, we talked about the adultery that King David had with Bathsheba. And I really pushed men to get into groups. And then I asked a very pointed question of men. I said, men, do you have a Nathan in your life? Now, Nathan, if you were here last week, if you weren't, you can go online and listen to it. Nathan was the prophet that came to David and said, David, you blew it. David, you're the man. David, you sinned. And he spoke tangibly and directly into David's life. And I was really hoping that men would leave, asking themselves, do I have somebody in my life who I'll let speak to me that way? Now, here was the challenge with that. I, I knew it would happen. It always happens when you ask people to get introspective. Some men in the room didn't leave thinking, do I have a Nathan in my life? They left thinking, who do I need to be a Nathan to? Who do I need to go correct? Who do I need to speak into their life? And when they did that, they missed the point of the day. Now, that may be true. There might be people you need to speak to. That wasn't what we were talking about. Do you see how that happens? Boom. You're talking about this thing, like if I deal with forgiveness. 
Are you harboring bitterness? Some people hear that and they say, oh, am I harboring bitterness? I want to do some work. God, do you have something to do in my heart? Other people hear that topic and they say, this person needs to forgive me. And they just switch it. Both are true. So today, ladies, when I talk about this principle from God's word, I'm going to ask you as best as you can to kind of walk on the journey with me. And let me just talk to you as one guy. And I give you full permission to disagree with me. 100%. And in fact, if I just get you thinking about a few things, I think, I think we've actually accomplished something. Whether or not we get, you get all the way to where I am is, is not really the point. And to kind of jump into it and kind of, you know, go into the deep end, I want to kind of show you four statements that are, in my opinion, the Bible's shortcuts to a happy family. All right? Now, the first one you're going to love. It says, husbands, loves your, love your wives and be considerate. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate. I think when you sum up the teachings of the New Testament, when the Bible addresses husbands, here's what it says. Love your wives and consider them. So not love your wives and control them. Love your wives and consider them. In fact, don't just love them emotionally. Love them the way Christ loved the church. Serve them. Give yourself to them, to their betterment, to their development, to their enjoyment, to their security. And there isn't a man in the room who lives up to that. In fact, the, the reason I know we don't is because to men specifically, we're giving a powerful word picture. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And so when you look at what Jesus did and what he experienced and how he intentionally moved to give his life away, I, I don't live up to that. I don't know of a single husband that does live up to that, and yet that's exactly men what we're called to do. Love our wives as Christ loved. Not as the world defines love. Not as we saw love modeled in our homes only. But as Christ loved. It's the next one where the rub's going to come. Number two, when the Bible talks to wives, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And this word, I can kind of feel it already, maybe it's just my nervousness, causes all kinds of consternation. So I have the opportunity to do a lot of weddings. And in weddings, there's eight or nine passages you go to. And so like every place in the New Testament minus one that the Bible talks to wives, some form of this Greek word that in this case is translated submit. You could use the word honor. You could use the word respect. I chose to kind of dive into the deep end to get your attention. But every time somebody says, I want this passage read, and we come to this, there's a discussion around that. Well, as long as we don't really mean this, and it means this instead, then I'd like you to read this passage. But if it means this, don't read this passage. And I get it. I get it. Because all of us have seen domineering, powerful relationships, where a domineering, powerful man that has browbeat and, and mistreated a woman. And in our culture, there's a debate going on about the role of women, and there should be a debate about the role of women. It's an important conversation to have. And I'm glad that I get to stand in the tradition of Christianity that has always elevated the role of women in the world. I'm thrilled about that. What makes us, when we come to the kinds of conversations I want to have today, incredibly double-minded. Because historically, wherever Christianity has thrived, the role of women and children who, 
in Bible times, were little more than cattle. I hate to tell you that. No, that's not God's perspective. That's just the way life was then. And then here comes Jesus, and here comes the Apostle Paul, elevating the role of women in the culture. And their value and their intrinsic worth. And yet there's the same people saying to wives, specifically, there's something you need to work through as it relates to this idea of honor, respect, and submitting. So we're on the Bible shortcuts for marriage and for family. Let's go through two more and then we'll drill down, all right? The third thing that the Bible says is a great shortcut. If you want to kind of just sum it up in a sentence for a happy family is number three, children obey your parents. And I would suggest to you that in our culture, this thing is being worked through in new ways, with new values, new levels of discussion. What does that mean? And then the fourth thing that I would say that the Bible gives us as a shortcut for a happy family, all of these, we could take a series on this, is fathers don't irritate your children. It uses a lot of, don't exasperate them. Don't emotionally manipulate them. Just don't irritate your kids. And, and, and if you want to kind of sum up the New Testament teachings of at least four important ingredients, probably not the only, but four very important keystone ingredients, here they are. Husbands, love your wives, be considerate. Wives, submit, respect, honor your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, don't irritate your children. And when we say those things, here's the problem. They're an ideal that is set, but most of us live somewhere down here. I, I do. I'm somewhere down here. There's a gap between what the Bible calls us to and where most of us live. So not, then we're faced with the choice. What are we going to do with that gap? So here, here's what Jill and I have done. And for the rest of this message, I, I can't help but pull from our experience. And I would love to tell you that for the rest of this message, I'm going to set for you a perfect example of what it means to live the principles I'm trying to get to is out. But, but that's not what, what you're going to hear at all. In the outside, here's what I'd like to say on the screens. It's a question we've had to face. Are we, Jill and I, willing to embrace the ideal that we may never fully attain? Are we going, or are we going to abandon the ideal and just redefine it? Redefine what we're about, redefine what we're called to. And so what Jill and I have done on these kinds of four statements, <laughs> she does this with me, husbands love your wives and be considerate. Here's what she does. I, my husband isn't all the way there. And we talk about that. Sometimes more than I want to, but we, but we, but we talk about it. And, um, and then I have a choice to say, well, all right, then I'm going to reject the ideal that I'm called to, or am I going to live in the tension of that ideal, pulling myself and letting you pull me towards it? And when we come to the one, wives submit, respect, honor your husbands. There's the ideal the conversation we have to have a couple, few times in our house is, is are we going to abandon the ideal that God calls us to, or are we going to live in that tension, calling ourselves towards it, knowing that it, at least on this side of heaven, we may never fully hit it, but the ideal is sufficient enough, and it's good enough, and it's godly enough, and it's what we want, we're going to pull ourselves towards it. When it comes to our children, children, obey your parents. It's pretty straight, black and white in the scriptures. 
And the truth is they don't always. So what are we going to do? Abandon that? Or are we going to call ourselves? And fathers, don't irritate your children. Understand. Be considerate about the way you treat them. And you, you feel that tension? So I want to take you to one verse, ladies, that I think can help all of us, men and women. In fact, this is such an important one verse in the Bible that in 2015, we're going to take an entire message series several weeks and just drill down on this one. But today, we're going to pull just a piece of it. Ephesians chapter 5.33. Paul's been talking about the role of family. The kinds of very dynamics that Mary and Joseph would have faced. The kind of families that Jesus came, was born into a manger, gave his life for. The kinds of families that the Bible is talking to when it gives those these four basic premises about husbands, wives, children's and fa- children and fathers. Ephesians 5.33 says this phrase. Each one of you, specifically to men, also must love his wife as he loves himself. But do you love your wife as much as you love yourself? If not, you don't love her enough. There's the ideal. And the wife must respect her husband. Love, respect. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Ladies, I have an opportunity pretty regularly to sit down and talk with men who are going through difficulties. And the common refrain I hear from them over and over and over again in their marriages is, there's something going on with this respect dynamic. Now, sometimes... To be honest, as I look at men, I don't think they're very respectable. And in my mind, I don't typically say it in the first conversation. I say, there might be a respect problem because you're not very respectable. Men, I get a lot of opportunities to sit down with ladies and uh, hear about relational dynamics. And it's not unusual for a lady to look at me and say, you know, I just, I'm not feeling very loved in this, in this relationship. And I don't say it, at least on the first meeting, but a lot of times I think, well, with the way you're acting, I'm not sure you're very lovable. Now, notice what I did there. What I did there was, is I went to a place where we're all comfortable going with men. Men, you want to be respected, be respectable. Everybody. But using the same passage, I go to ladies. Ladies, you want to be loved, be lovable. Now, the reason the Apostle Paul is dealing with these two phrases is, is I think, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's tapped into a really important dynamic. Maybe not when they're 20 or 30, but by the time men are 40 and 50, most men would say, what do you want most out of a relationship? You have two choices, love or respect. Most men would say, I want the lady I'm spending my life with to respect me as a man. Higher than they would say, I'd like to have romantic feelings of love. You ask a lady, typically... Love is at the top, respect maybe somewhere down a little lower. It's interesting because when we look at the love of God, here's what God did for us. Now just go with me for a second. Because you understand that marriage and family, those dynamics, those ideals flow from the character of God. That's why he put a man and a woman, both made in his image, Equal in quality, equal in essence, put both of them into a marriage and said, together be fruitful and multiply. Since marriage flows from the character of God, God looks at us, and in his character, he says, 
I'm in the middle here. He says to all of us, men and women, you're not lovable. But I'm going to love you anyway. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to love you anyway. The way you've been acting doesn't demand that I love you, but I'm going to love you anyway. And we all get that. A lot of verses in the Bible dealing with the love word. But you understand that God did the exact same thing on the other side of the equation with respect. God said, the way you're acting, the way you're conducting yourself is not very respectable. And yet I'm going to acknowledge the dignity that you have just because you're human. I'm going to acknowledge the worth that you have just because you're created in my image. I'm going to acknowledge the value of you as a person. And in doing that, I'm going to give myself to you fully before you fully deserved it. So, so men, God calls us to love our wives even if they're not acting lovable in the moment, even if they're not lovely. And ladies, in like fashion, God calls you if you're married to respect your husband at times, even when he's not very respectable. And this is a challenge. In fact, it would be less of a challenge if we held a higher definition of what love really was. But because we've reduced love to a series of emotions and sentimentalities, it's very easy for us all to buy into the idea of love. But the word respect carries, and appropriately, a certain amount of significance in the word. And here's what Jill and I have had to wrestle with. I've had to wrestle with it, she's had to wrestle with it. Why is it that every time God speaks to wives in the New Testament, submit, honor, respect, some version of that is used. Every time. I mean, what does that mean? So, let me tell you what, what I don't want to do here. I'm not trying to solve the world's problems today. I'm not trying to set cultural values. I'm not trying to set public policy or workplace dynamics. In fact, the Apostle Paul didn't have any of that in mind when he wrote this phrase, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. What he had in mind was a man and a woman who are trying to honor God with their marriage. All the issues of public policy, what should happen in terms of the workplace, how people are viewed in general in society, those are second and tertiary issues. He was addressing a man and a woman who wanted to honor God with their marriage and honor each other with their marriage. So there are times when God looks in the pages of the New Testament at a couple and he says, to wives and husbands, let me balance the scale a little bit, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's right there in the pages of our Bible. There are places like in 1 Peter where he says, respect one another. So it goes both ways. There are places where he looks at women and he says, love. But ladies, when I talk to men, what it seems they want for themselves more than anything else in a marriage is to be respected. So let's talk about how we can make that happen. By the way, it doesn't mean that you check your opinions at the door. Far from that. Let, let me give it to you in three possible ways. We won't spend a lot of time on these because the truth is, is I don't know the dynamic of your family. My whole goal today is to elevate 
one value to turn the temperature up just a little bit and have you think about it. Let's talk about a head of respect. I'm talking about the way you think about your husband. You know, the way we think about things has a big impact on what we say and do. I'm talking about your private thoughts here. I had the thought this week that it's our private thoughts that impact where we're headed more than anything else. So your private thoughts. What do you think about your husband? He's an idiot. Um, I'm better than he is. I'm smarter than he is. I'm more fun than he is. I'm more adventurous than he is. He's not dependable. He's a fuddy-dud. I, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't heard any of these things ever in my life. Um, I'm not going to tell you the list that, that, you know, it's like between Jill and I. But I just want you to think for just a minute about what you think about your husband. Here, here's, what's, here's what's surprising. Some of us are very good about disciplining ourselves so that what we think doesn't come out our mouths. Good for you. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, men and women, that we have to renew our minds. So when it comes to your husbands, ladies, here's a passage I think, and for men too, all of us can rally around. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. It deals with our thoughts. It says, finally, brothers and sisters. Right? So specifically dealing with men and women here. Whatever's true, whatever noble, whatever right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, then the Bible says these words, Think about such things. And then Paul kind of continues the thought because he's in the middle of a conversation. Whatever else you've learned and heard about me, Paul says to this church at Philippi, you put those things into practice. And when you do these things, you think on these things, and then you do the practices that flow from them, he says the God of peace will be with you. I think, ladies, one of the ways that you can help bring peace to your home is to think about your husband in terms of whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable. Like, if there's even a hint of those things. Here's two quick suggestions on a head of respect. I think, ladies, that you can pray thank you prayers. They go something like this. Thank you, Lord. And I'm seeing, and then you fill in the blank, in my husband, in my man. Thank you, Lord, that I'm seeing some honor, some loveliness, some, something that was admirable. And you actually discipline yourself to reflect on that just a little. And then you offer that up to God. God, thank you for that. Moms, you can do this with your sons. The world is going to pull at them and tug at them and try to take them in a whole variety of directions. But you can acknowledge and see in them the good things, the admirable things. In fact, moms, it's often your voice that sets the pattern of what a young man believes about himself. So you can say some thank you prayers about the good stuff that you see. And in so doing, renew your own mind. Here's the other thing you can do. You can encourage him. Honey, I was just praying for you, and I'm really thankful because blank. Now, I wrote that sentence that way particularly because I think that, ladies, you have to pray for your husbands. And not, not the prayers that come natural like, oh, God, kill him. I think what you have to pray is for him and for his good and speak prayers of blessing, calling out the good stuff. And I can't tell you, ladies, how powerful your words are in the life of a man, how you speak about him. 
And you understand, the Bible says that our thoughts give way to our words. In fact, that takes me to my next way of showing respect. We'll talk about the head of respect for just a moment. Let's talk about a heart of respect, what you think about and what you feel about your husband. He may not be respectable, and there may be some areas where he needs to grow. But if you really want your marriage to work, you're going to have to take captive your feelings about your husband and think about them. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, gives us some encouragement as to why. Because out of the abundance of your heart, ladies, your mouth is going to speak to him and about him. So what do you say when he's not around? How do you describe him to your friends, to your mother? These things have a dramatic impact on the way a husband experiences respect in a marriage. The words matter. And you may be more verbal than he is, but at the end of the day, the very words you use are going to have an impact. And remember, I'm not talking about solving a cultural problem here. I'm not talking about the value and worth that the average American puts on women. That's a conversation for a different day. I'm talking about a husband and a wife who wants to honor God and do biblical, God-honoring marriage together. Ladies, how you talk about your husband to him and about him has a big impact on how he experiences that thing that I think he wants more than anything else, which is to be respected by the woman he's spending his life with. A head of respect. A heart of respect. Let's talk about hands for just a moment. Hands of respect. The greatest chapter in the Bible for women that describes the ideal situation is Proverbs 31. So sometimes you'll hear a woman described as a Proverbs 31 woman. It just means she's the whole package. She's got beauty inside and beauty outside. She carries herself with dignity. She's honorable and respectable. Proverbs 31, it's a great chapter, go read it. Some of you are going to see seed forms of the things talked about in Proverbs 31 in your marriage, and, and you can call those out. And it's a powerful passage. One verse, verse 31 of Proverbs 31 says this about the woman who's honorable. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. The city gate is where people would meet and discuss stuff. That's where announcements would be made. And this passage is saying that by the way a woman uses her hands, she can be praised. It just gets me thinking about how can a woman use her hands to bring honor and respect. I, I think, ladies, just visually, the image of hands that pray. I can't tell you the number of times when a woman has sat in my desk and said, we're struggling, I don't think we're going to make it. And I'll just ask a simple question. Can you tell me about how you're praying for your marriage? And the truthful answer is, well, I'm not really. And, and that's okay. Ideal where we really live. So ladies, you want to inch closer towards the ideal. One of the ways you can help do that is to pray for your marriage. I don't want to spend a lot of time in this. We'll do this in February. But ladies, I think touch is incredibly powerful. Nothing can turn the tide of a man's day, week, and month than the way you use your hands and your body to say, I love you. It's incredibly powerful. In fact, it's so powerful that the enemy of our soul wants to get in at any point of power and use it for, for malevolent purposes. 
to make sexuality and intimacy in your marriage a point of contention and a power struggle. So using your hands willingly, using your body willingly to serve your husband, even when he's not fully respectable, in the same way that I look at men and tangibly say to them, men, love your wives, even when you don't feel like it, is an incredibly powerful thing you can do in your marriage to show respect. And then the final way that I would say that you can use your hands is you can literally open God's Word on your phone, on your iPad, the old you know, leather version I've got here, you can... And you can read and become familiar with the passages where God talks to women. And you can wrestle, as Jill and I have now, for just at 25 years. What does it mean for a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church? And what does it mean for a woman to respect and honor her husband? And wrestle with those passages. So let me give you just a couple of thoughts here. Here's my first one. Who referees... Like if a woman's not feeling loved and a husband's not feeling respected, and I bet if we were to do a private poll here today, there'd be a bunch of men in the room who would say, I'm not sure I'm being respected in my marriage. And there might be a bunch of women who would say, I don't feel fully loved in my marriage. Well, who gets to referee? Let's remember our passage that we're looking at, Ephesians 5.33, that says each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. I think the obvious implication here is that a, well, a wife gets to decide if the husband is loving enough. And if a wife doesn't feel loving enough and she wants to say, I don't feel loved enough, you're not loving enough, I think that in and of itself is the green light for the husband to say, I'm going to turn on the love which looks like serving you and listening to you and being considerate of you. I'm going to consider your opinion, your thoughts, your words. I'm not going to dismiss them. They're, they're weighty to me. They matter to me. When a woman says, I don't feel loved enough, everything stops and the man gives attention to that. That just makes sense to me. If we're really trying to do this thing together. And I think that, likewise, ladies... If a husband raises his hand and says, I'm not sure the respect quotient is where I'd like it to be. I think the red lights turn on, everything stops, and we move forward on dealing with the respect thing. So I think the husband gets to decide if the wife is respecting enough. I think there's two big ways for a wife to be disrespecting. I think you can be silent and compliant, and in that way you're disrespecting. I think you have to talk. I think you have to have opinions. I think you have to make them known to be a respecting wife. This is kind of contra what I think is the fear behind our cultural discussion. I think the Bible affirms bold and strong women. But in a marriage context, how you do that and how you move forward when there's disagreement has everything to do with whether or not a man's going to experience respect as you two disagree. And you're going to have to figure that out. There are great tools out there. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't tell us how. It only tells us what. It only sets the ideal. But you're, you're smart. You can work through this stuff. You can think about it. And when you do that, you can elevate for men the love quotient and for ladies the, res the respect quotient. I think you can be silent and compliant and in so doing, disrespect the marriage, disrespect your husband, and you don't create an environment where healthy dialogue can happen 
for the betterment of both of you. Do you understand that it's not your opinion, men. It's not your opinion, ladies. It's what's best for the marriage that needs to be talked about. More than what you want. So not silent and compliant. And I think the other way you can be incredibly disrespectful is to be loud and contentious. Where there's always a power struggle. Always a power struggle. I think God speaks to men and says, love that woman I gave you as I love the church. And I think he speaks to women and says, you need to work hard to respect that man. So let me ask you, what are we going to do? Are we going to embrace the biblical ideal or are we going to decide that those verses don't matter anymore? They don't count because they make us uncomfortable. Or are we going to create a different worldview just to stay comfortable? I want to challenge you, ladies, that I think this coming year, no matter where your family has been in the loving or the respecting levels, you can make some decisions, men and women, you can make some decisions to increase love and respect in your home. And I think it begins with wrestling tangibly with the text of Scripture that every time it speaks to women says, respect, honor, submit. There's something in that for you. And it's probably not all that you think it is based on some simplistic understanding of Scripture, but it probably is something nonetheless. And men, I think we have to wrestle with creating an environment of love so that our women are safe to wrestle with these passages. And if I have to put the lion's share on who has to lead here to do the first part of loving or respecting, I think the Bible's very clear, men. It's on you to start the process of creating a loving environment where respect can be nurtured and grown. But men, on the other hand, you'll never love your wife enough to make her fully respect you. If your wife doesn't want to pick up God's word to her and inspect her own heart, there's always going to be a gap. Ladies, he can't be good enough to make you to want to do this. You have to do it because you feel God calling you to. And men, she's never going to be so lovely that you always, always, always want to treat her lovingly. She's not going to be able to do that. And yet God calls us to. She doesn't create the environment to make you want to. You do it as unto God. And that's why this message isn't for the world. It's for those of us that call Jesus our Lord when he speaks to men and says, now men love her. And ladies, now respect him. And with that heart of submission to the Lord's ideals, I think families can move forward. So let me give you Ben and Jill's confession before we take a couple steps. We, in my marriage, fall short all the time. But we're not going to change the rules so that we feel better about it. We're going to live with the tension between the reality and the ideal that Jesus gave us. And we're going to try to do that humbly and transparently. So Jill and I spoke a lot about her sharing this message with me, and she got the flu this week. And, but she wanted me to kind of share this thought to the ladies. She says, Consider stopping the tendency that she has had on occasion to not look at her own behavior. So she writes these exact words. Stop refusing to look at your behavior as disrespectful simply because you did not mean to be disrespectful. Just look at the behavior itself in the moment. 
She says, for a long time she did that. Because she didn't think of herself as a disrespecting wife, she never asked if this behavior was disrespectful. And she said, instead, be willing to consider the behavior as disrespectful and then to label that as a sin. And be willing to talk about it. Be willing to repent for it. Be willing to work on it. And then she says that you and I, ladies, are not the exceptions to Paul's words because we think that we're respectful most of the time. That's not what we're called to. We're called to hear our husbands talk to us about the respect that he feels. And with that, I think you know why it is Jill and I have made it to 25 years and why I think we'll make it to 50. So grab out your connect cards and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. By the way, if you have um, challenges with my words, I hope you'll at least embrace the concept. And you are welcome to send emails to my wife about this. She'd be glad to get them. Jill at fourcornerschurch.com. All right. Hey, every week I like to give people a chance to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's the Christmas season. We're going to do this on Christmas Eve. But right now, if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, next step A says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. You can just check the box, put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service. And in a moment when we pray, you can use your words or you can borrow mine and look to God and say, God, I am a sinner. And I want you to save me. I want you to lead my life, become the Lord. And if you put that card in the offering bucket, we'll communicate with you about what that is, what that means, and help you move forward in a relationship with God. Here's next step B. Today, I'm choosing to be baptized. Our first baptism of, uh, of 2015, I think is going to be phenomenal. I'm going to call a lot of you to step the year out, start the year out right to kind of step up to this. So if you haven't yet been baptized, check the box and let me send you some information about that. Let's see if we can get you signed up. Here's next step C. I'll memorize Ephesians 5.33. It's a great verse for those of us that are married, want to be married. Each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here's next step D. I wonder if anybody in the room would say, hey, Ben, I'm going to bring my Christmas gift offering in celebration of the birth of Jesus to our EV service, or I'm going to go ahead and give online. We are moving forward. You can hear an update on that. So exciting how people are stepping up to invest here in this place, near us, and around the world. And the next step E is really kind of a 30,000-foot view one. I wonder if there's anybody in the room that would say, Ben, I'll join with you and the other pastors at 4C to pray for marriages, that God would save them, that in 2015 he would use this church literally to save marriages. And if you check that box with the card in the offering bucket, I'll send you a little reminder about that, but we could use some prayer around that around here. Let's pray about these things right now. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you loved us when we were unlovable and you called us people worthy of dignity and honor and respect even when we weren't worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. And you modeled for both of us, men and women, how we are to love and honor and follow you. God, I want to pray for marriages right now in this room. It's Christmas, God. That puts a lot of stress on people. And yet in the middle of stressful situations like Mary and Joseph had, you birthed, you gave birth to something beautiful. And I pray, God, this Christmas season, you would birth beautiful things in families and homes all around our church. I pray for ladies, God, that they would take seriously their call to respect their husbands. I pray for men, that they would take seriously their call to love their wives. I pray for those that are, that are declaring, Jesus, be my Savior. 
Wash away my sins. We give it all to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.